So this evening, I would like to look at meditation and mindfulness. And so throughout the week, I will bring different types of meditation, and most of them will be of what we call the mindfulness, the awareness practice. Then I will also bring some toward the end, one which is more of the questioning type, which comes from the Zen tradition. The awareness practice comes from the Theravada tradition, from very much the early Pali canon. What Stephen talks about, you find it in the early text. And then toward the end, I also bring the loving kindness, which seems to be like a mindfulness. But personally, I think it's a mindfulness, but done in a little different way. So to see, although we're going to do different things, for me, they will actually all help us to develop the meditation and to develop more mindfulness. So this evening, I would like to talk about first the three terms, which really kind of cover a little what we do in meditation in terms of the early text. So the first term is sati, S-A-T-I. And sati is a basic word uh, from the Pali Canon, which was translated as mindfulness. But the term itself actually cover more than maybe what we just mean by be mindful. Because in ordinary language, if you say be mindful, and they choose a translation of mindfulness in the 1850s, 1870s, because it was a word that you found in the Bible, be mindful. But there it means more be careful. So mindfulness can mean to be careful. But the, the sati, the words have quite a broad meaning. So it can mean to be aware in the moment, but I think we have to be careful here. Because often, sometimes when we say be, try to be aware in the moment, there can be this feeling that we need to catch the moment. But the problem is that at one level there is no moment because it constantly moves. Moments move. So I think we're not, when we say be aware in the moment, it doesn't mean catch the moment. Because then you're kind of constantly trying to catch something which is like water. So it's not to be caught. But in a way, the instruction is more to try to more inhabit the moment. To try to be more in the experience that is happening. With the various condition of it. So I would like us to see, to look at mindfulness of the moment, but in a broader way, to see it more as kind of opening to the moment, being mindful in a broader way on the moment, and not so that we try to catch this moment that passes. Because any moment is past, present, future, and it kind of slips all the time. We, in a way, what we're trying to do is not catch the moment, but actually we're trying to flow with the moment, to accompany the moment, so to, to be present to what happens. And then what we, to me, what is one of the beauty of mindfulness is to see that actually it helps us to see 
more of the moment than actually catching it. But it kind of invites us to see more of it. And also I think it invites us possibly to downgrade a bit us in the moment. Because generally we are this big and then the moment is just a little more than that. <laughs> but it's in a way it's kind of to see the moment is fast. And then we are a little bit in it. So we're part of it. But we are not the main. Because for us, we are the main actor. But each of us is a main actor. Lots of main actors here, you know, in competition. You know, there is no subsidiary role, no second role here. We all first role. <laughs> and I think the mindfulness helps us to see that, yes, we have a certain role in this huge experience. But it's main only for me. It's not main for the other person. And so in a way we have to share this moment. And so sometimes we'll be in the first role, sometimes second, sometimes third. So then it invites to have a more flowing experience. Instead of being so kind of like trying to kind of push ourselves or trying to impose ourselves trying to control, trying to mold. Often what we try to do is to mold the moment to ourselves. When I try, mindfulness is trying us to become more spacious in the moment. So I feel that mindfulness of this moment is to expand. It's not to narrow the moment, but it's to expand our experience of the moment. And so that we kind of see it in more of its various aspects. So we can see it from the first row. We can see it from the second. We can see it from the third. We can see it from many different places. Instead of always me, kind of, kind of the main character all the time, which can be quite tiring. And taking, you know, second circle, which can, I think, quite be kind of restful. And then we can move from the different position within the experience or the moment that's flowing. Also with sati, there is this idea that it's not any mindfulness, but it's actually a careful and balanced mindfulness. So we're bringing care to the experience of the moment. So the mindfulness is not to make us above the moment. <coughs> detached from the moment. But actually the mindfulness is helping us to be more caring and more careful for the diverse condition that happen in this experience, inner experience and outer experience. But also there is a balance aspect that we're not too caught, we're not too distant. So again, it's kind of the middle way. We're trying to, to, to be with it in a way which is not too tight and at the same time which is not too loose. So kind of being balanced in the way we are mindful. And in a way you could say it's a middle way between repression and proliferation. 
Because in a way, mindfulness is going to help us to be more conscious. And one of the first things we become more conscious as soon as we sit is of our thoughts, feeling, sensation, but especially a lot of our thoughts. Because nothing is happening as you sit here. And so generally you don't, unless something really happened before you came here, you don't have really very big specific kind of feelings a lot of the time. In terms of sensation, you know, at the beginning of the sitting, less sensations. At the end of the sitting, possibly more sensation. But generally, hopefully, nothing dramatic. So then what we can see more are our thoughts. And then there is this thing about mindfulness. How can we be careful and balanced with our thoughts so that we don't repress them and at the same time we don't proliferate with them? And this is again this kind of like we become more conscious of our thoughts and at the same time we don't want to battle with our thoughts. And then at the same time, we don't want to be overwhelmed by them all the time. And this is where the object is really useful. I think to see, that's why I talk of anchoring, of reference point. That the breath, tomorrow will be the body after the sounds. They're actually a way to help us not to repress and not to proliferate but in a way to give us a choice to do something else. So I would say meditation is in a way just making that choice and in a way having the space to make the choice to come back to the breath, to come back to the body, to come back to the sounds. And so that coming back gives us the opportunity Not to think this is terrible to think, I must not think anymore, I must stop to think, because you cannot stop thinking. Because your brain is working, and you can't switch it off. I mean, all the little electricity goes, so it does its thing. It does what it's kind of built up to, what it has evolved to. And at the same time, thinking too much is very tiring. If you just think, It's very tiring. So how can we help ourselves not to switch it off and not to just be endlessly thinking, which is quite energy-taking? And then there is this possibility of using, in a way, mindfulness to be aware of a specific object, which then gives us a choice. I mean, I can think if I want to think, Or I can take a little holiday from thinking and go to the breath, the sound, the body. And then I can be mindful of something. Instead of being in a way obsessing about something a lot of the time or just occupied or just distracting myself. So in a way it's just that little moment of choice to me is not repressing or proliferating, it's just making the choice. But mindfulness gives us a choice because we suddenly see ourselves. Mm, I am not here. I am somewhere else. Let me go back. So it's just a choice. It's just a choice we make to go back. And so that then links to the first meaning of sati. Originally, the first meaning of sati 
was memory, was to remember. And then over time in the Buddhist text, the Buddha kind of um, elaborated on this meaning so that the sati was not just memory but becomes something more than that, becoming aware in a certain way. But memory is still a component because in a way, what is it that will help us to make the choice to come back is the remembrance of our intention to be mindful, to be aware, to be more present, to be more in the experience, to meditate. And so, and this is what is interesting, how powerful intention is, how it really works, give energy to this memory, to this remembrance of what we intended. And that's what, in a way, and that's where we can see if we have kind of, we've got good energy often in the morning, then we come back more easily. And then you might have seen after lunch, might have been much harder to come back because there was less energy to remember the intention to come back. So it's not just the intention we need to have energy, but the remembering. So I think it's also we have to accept that we won't be able to be mindful to the same degree all the time because it's also a question of how much energy we have. And through the day, physiologically, the energy will change according to if we're tired or not, if we run three miles or not, or if we ate too much or not. So many different things will give us more or less energy. But we can't have the same energy all the time. So remembering the intention. And what is interesting with that is to notice Every time you come back to the breath, or the body, or the sound in the day that comes, you will realize, you see that you come back to the whole moment. That's what is interesting. We don't just come back to the breath. We come back to the whole thing. Because when we get lost in a thought, for example, we actually go in abstraction. And a lot of the time, we really are not there. You could be sitting in meditation here and actually be in New York or be 10 years ago or be five years ahead and you're really not here. And then often you hear a sound and poof, you come back. And as you come back to the breath, you come back to the whole thing. That you are sitting here in a certain posture with people in this place. And to me, this is one of the functions of coming back. The function of the anchor. The anchor is not to push away anything. The anchor is actually to bring us back to the whole thing. That's what the remembering will be about. Instead of being kind of just locked in one thought, in one train of thought, or in an image or a memory from past, We come back to the whole, I would say, organic thing in this moment. To this kind of multiple experience in this moment. Instead of this much smaller, abstract moment, past, future, or whatever it might be. Then with the mindfulness, you also have uh, another word, which is a little more complicated. And this is sampajanya. 
And this is S-A-M-P-A. G like John, is it? Or should I say J like John? J like John. Okay, J like John. A and N. And then you have a little squiggle on the end if you want to be really precise. And then you have A. So Sampajanya. And this is often associated in the text with Sati. So often they say Sati Sampajanya. And Sampajanya actually means clear comprehension directed to the breath, to the body, to various things. So it shows that the mindfulness is being aware in a certain way, being aware in a wide way, and then together with that, there is a direction. It is directed in a certain way, in a clear way. And I think to me that's point out to one aspect of the meditation, that we are not just aware, which means that we kind of like uh, watch reality like a mirror, just reflecting what happens. Often that's a metaphor which is used. But there are a more active quality, a more creative quality that we do, that we're aware, but in a clear way, in a creative way, in an active way. And so generally the activity, the creativity is towards the characteristics of what is going on in the experience. And so generally one of the things we suggested to look at is impermanence in the experience. So not as an idea, but experiencing impermanence here and now. So noticing the thoughts coming and going, the sound coming and going. And so it's not just observing, but it's also going inside the experience. So trying to kind of uh, be with the experience, with that changing aspect of the experience. And then you have another term, which is a little complicated, again, but it's interesting. And it's yoniso, Y-O-N-I-S-O, manasikara, M-A-N-A-S-I-K-A-R-A. You're not obliged to retain this information. I'm just spelling it in case some people are interested. But you don't have to remember it if you're not interested. It took me years to remember that one. So Yoniso Manasikara is, simply put, attention. That actually you have these three, three things which come together. The mindfulness, which has a bit of memory within it, being aware in a careful and balanced manner. Then you have the clear comprehension directed to the experience. And for this to work, you need attention. You need what is called wise, penetrative, appropriate attention. That's an essential part of the meditation process. And what is interesting with attention is often we feel that we don't have enough attention. And when we were children, often we were told, pay attention. There is a wonderful film about children in a little school in France. You might, some of you might have seen this film about this one teacher who has a bunch of kids going from maybe ten, uh, 5 to 15 in one class because there is a little village. 
And it's a wonderful film of him in this class. And you have this one little pupil, a boy, but I think he's seven or eight. And constantly, the teacher has to kind of say, hey, pay attention. And you see the kid, you know, trying to pay attention for two seconds. Then as soon as the teacher is gone, he's kind of like, And he's really, all the time, he's in kind of like somewhere else. He's really kind of, you know, he cannot pay attention to anything specific. He's kind of, you know, seems to be attracted everywhere. So there is that problem we have sometimes, that we jump. We go everywhere. Our attention is not wise, is not appropriate, is not penetrative. And sometimes we have the opposite. We pay too much attention to something. And we get obsessed. And then we cannot stop thinking about it. Even if we want to, we can't. We become obsessed. Then we pay too much attention. This is it. What we're trying to do here is having a wise, penetrative, appropriate attention. So that we, can, we pay attention to the breath in a wise way. We pay attention to the body in an appropriate way. We pay attention to the sound in a penetrative way. So it's kind of like paying attention back to the careful and balanced. In a balanced way, we're aware, we pay attention, but again, we're not too tight and we're not too loose. Again, balanced. So what we, then we develop this wise mental investigation. And again, the paying of attention is not just seeing something, but it's kind of being aware, again, of its characteristics. For example, the changing nature of things. So these three things, the mindfulness, the clear comprehension, and the wise attention, this is not something extraordinary. All day today, that's what you were doing. All day today, you were doing that. And sometimes it seems to work better than others. And again, this depends on the condition. If you're tired, if you're kind of a little sleepy or whatever is happening. But we all have, in a way, that ability. We all have that capacity. And so what we're doing in the meditation retreat is refining them so that they can come together and then we can develop what I call creative awareness. And this is not a term you can find in the Pali text. I checked with a specialist. I said, can I use the term creative awareness? And he said, it's not in the Pali text. So it's not Pali text. But personally, I think creative awareness, for me, describes the three things coming together. The mindfulness, the clear comprehension, the paying of attention coming together. Again, you don't just have this bare awareness, but you have a creative awareness that then we can take into our daily life. But I think one important point to look at here is the difference between cultivation and effect. When we start a meditation retreat, this is very important to be careful here. 
because you come to this retreat because you have some intention, you have some hope, you think that meditation and mindfulness is useful. You don't come here because you have nothing better to do. You come here because you think it's a good idea to meditate, to be mindful, and that it will help you to be wiser, more compassionate, more peaceful, more calm, more creative, whatever it is. But there is a difference between cultivating the mindfulness, the attention, the clear comprehension, and the effect this is going to have. And so we have to be very careful to sit in meditation and within two minutes checking, is this working? Am I mindful enough? Am I clearly comprehending enough? Am I having a special experience? Am I having a special insight? I mean, this is a big thing with Vipassana meditation. Vipassana sometimes is translated as insight meditation. And then you have the idea, well, if I do insight meditation, I must have some insight. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? You know, so I meditate and then where is the insight? I did not have an insight in the last half hour. What's the matter with myself, with the technique? So to see that, of course it has effect. I would not teach it and do it if it did not. But we have to be careful. Checking the effect is not the same as cultivating the mindfulness, the clear comprehension, and the attention. And the effect will come from the cultivation, not from checking the effect. So that's why I would really encourage you to do, to see when do I move to checking. Of course, at the end of the meditation or at the end of the day, of course, we can, you know, fear, you know, is it helpful or not helpful? And that's why I'm going to present with you different objects to see, is this object better for me than another? Is it easier for me to do or is it harder for me to do? So then, of course, it's good to check a little, to, but not to check as against any special measure, but more, hmm, does it seem to help me to be more stable and open? Can I settle with this? Can I do this in a careful and balanced way? So I think to just to see, of course we need to kind of you know, monitor a little, but being careful of the checking too much. Because as soon as you check, am I doing the right thing, nothing is happening, then actually you move out of the cultivation. And so what we are doing is in a way, so you have the three, the mindfulness, the clear comprehension, and the wise attention. And in a way, we use that to, in terms of the bare bone of the meditation, to cultivate samatha and vipassana. And samatha is concentration, focusing, and vipassana is looking deeply, experiential inquiry. So I think what is important to see that kind of in a way, it's kind of like different layer or different 
way we call something. Because, in a way, you use the three I talked before in order to do the Samatha and the Vipassana, and doing the Samatha and the Vipassana help you to develop mindfulness, comprehension, and wise attention. And then you need them also to do it. So kind of in a way, the two goes together very much. We're not kind of trying to kind of do different things, but it's kind of different way to talk about what we're doing. But I, I like to go down to this level of samatha and vipassana because the other three terms are more specific to one tradition. The Theravada tradition, the Vipassana tradition that you generally will find in Thailand, in Sri Lanka, in India, in Burma. And of course, in the other tradition, they can also use these terms. But they will also use many other terms. So then the, the, these terms are not so essential, especially in terms of meditation. But the two terms that are essential for most meditation, Buddhist meditation, although in different schools they might give different, different uh, ideas about these terms, is samatha and vipassana, that you find everywhere. And that's why I like to go back to this kind of main component. So in meditation, what we're trying to do is to cultivate the two together. Samatha, concentration. Again, paying attention. Focusing the attention on one point in our experience. Today the breath, tomorrow the body, third day the sound. And what I want to point out here is back to the spectrum I talk about this afternoon, that actually with concentration you have a spectrum. <laughs> you can have a very tight concentration and very open concentration when then it's not talked as concentration. But I think to do this, you need to have concentration, but it's very wide open. As I said before, this, this way you get a little more tension, that way you let, get a little more vagueness. And personally, I like to be in the middle because I find that it kind of generally works, kind of help. But there is also place for either side. And that's why I would talk about if you are here, you are in what I call exclusive concentration, where you're trying to just be with the breath and you're trying to push everything away. But I think it requires a lot of energy to push everything away all the time. And so I think one thing which can be useful is what I call inclusive concentration. A concentration when the concentration is more there to anchor us, to give us a point of reference within a wide open aware in awareness in the background. So in a way, it's kind of like you have 70% focus on the object, and then you have 70% in the background. Because the fact that you focus on the object doesn't mean you don't hear, you don't think, you don't have feelings, sensation, etc. So it's more in the background. And I think this way, generally, we can sit in a stable way, but with also an open awareness. And so again, there, what is interesting with the concentration is that the way it works is very simple and very effective. Is that each time you come back, that's the effect. Not that you stay with the breath, though that's fine too if you can stay there. <laughs> 
but generally you don't. And then what is interesting is each time you come back, you actually make a difference. Especially if you don't force yourself to come back, but make the choice to come back. So you're not pushing anything away, you're just choosing to come back. And each time you do this, you don't feed the thought, for example, and you diminish its power. So that then your mental patterns become less patterning. And they can come back more to their creative functioning. Let's take daydreaming. Daydreaming is a favorite activity when you sit in meditation. You sit in meditation and it starts with, if I had, if I was. And then off you go in this wonderful film where you do everything. Actor, producer, uh, script, director, and you even sell the peanuts. And it's wonderful. And your time passed very fast. I ring the bell. <gasps> already, already? Yeah. I, I was so nice. I was a nice place. <laughs> but the problem with uh, daydreaming is that actually it's very frustrating. Because generally what happens in the daydreams often is not what happens in real life because it's a multiple reality. Daydream is a mono-reality. But daydreaming comes from a creative function of imagining and so, to see that you can imagine when you want to. But then when you go into daydreaming, it's kind of like it creates frustration. It kind of takes you away from what is really going on. And of course we need to do it little sometimes, but not too much. Otherwise then it becomes very difficult. But imagining, that's wonderful to do it when we really can do it and then let it go to do something else. Then we have much more freedom with that functioning. Then it becomes creative. So that's what happened with the concentration, is just to do that, to come back again and again. Just that simple exercise will actually make you more spacious. To me, this is one of the things about concentration. It's not to grab something and hold on to it. But by coming back again and again to it, it dissolves the power of the fixing pattern. And then you have more space. Then you can have more creativity. And also generally we have more calm because there is more, we don't need to think all the time, the thought. We start to think, well, I have thought this before. Maybe I don't need to think it right now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe in a week. And so it doesn't mean you cannot think about it if you want to. But you're not obliged to. You're not compelled to. You have much more freedom. And then it's much more restful because you don't spend so much energy. Then you have the other aspect is vipassana. And vipassana is to look deeply is experiential inquiry. So again, here, you have a bit of the sampajanya, the clear comprehension. You kind of direct the mind to the experience in a certain way. And again, one of the simplest ways to do that is just to be aware that things change. But that's interesting to look today. You are sitting in meditation, 
and very likely you had good meditation. And you thought, hmm, that's nice. If only it was like this the whole time, this would be a wonderful retreat. Or you had a difficult meditation. <gasps> this is really tough. I mean, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, and if it's like that every day, <gasps> how am I going to kind of, you know, stay till the end? And then generally it changed. The good meditation changed. The bad meditation changed because it changes. And to me, I would say it doesn't matter what kind of meditation you have. As long as you sit here, as long as you just try to do it, just try to pay attention, just try to be present time to time. That's what matters. After that, sometime you'll do it more, you'll do it less. But what is interesting is that generally at the end of the sitting, or at the end of the walking, you feel a little, a little release by just doing that. It helps you to defix a little, just to be a little more spacious. Also just to be more in tune with change. Because I think the, the, why the Vipassana is to really make us see that we have such a tendency to make things fix, to make them more permanent than they are. Because often we say, you know, I always do this. You never do that. When you say that, you're basically saying, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, forever after, but we never do this. Exactly. <laughs> I'm using it too. Because things change. Things, this is, a thing, this is the way life works. It changes. That's the way we, if we did not change, nothing would happen. You would not have a baby becoming an adult. You would not have a plant becoming a tree. If nothing changed, you would just have stasis. We would not be here. We would still, well, there would not have even been the Big Bang if there was no change. Nothing would have happened. So in a way, the Vipassana is to make us more in tune, experientially, with just the fact, the way things change, just to be with it, just to be aware of it. And this can be so liberating. I know this seems so simple, but it's so liberating. Like if you have a funny feeling. You see, sometimes we have funny feelings, you know. You can suddenly feel, oh. Or you feel exhausted, oh. You know? And then when you feel exhausted or you feel, you think, oh. And you can only see that. This is a problem. When it's intense like this, you can only see that, because in that moment, that all that exists. There is nothing else in that moment. And of course, that's why we generally think there is only that. But instead of there is only that, and we go from that, it will always be like this. You think, oof, I'm tired. But you know, you don't always feel like this. 
At times you feel full, full of beans, really energetic, ready to go. And off you go. So in a way, to know that you are feeling it doesn't mean to see it's impermanent, that it does not exist. We have to be careful. Impermanence doesn't mean something does not exist now. But impermanence is just saying it will not exist in this way all the time. Because it changes within itself and also it comes and it goes. And then if we really see that, then I think it really makes a big difference in our daily life. And that's what I would encourage you to just to be more aware of in terms of thought, feelings, sensation, sounds. That when your mind is taken there because they're a little more intense, they're a little coming to your attention, can you come with it within that attention, the wise attention? How long is this going to last? For me, this is something which I use often in my daily life. If I feel something, how long is this going to last? Three days ago, four days ago, I was in France, and suddenly I felt, I don't often feel like this, but I was coming here, then I had to take my mother to the hospital for a scanner, and then there was thing I had to do, and then... Then my voice changed a little, and Stephen was, she's getting a little funny. How long is this going to last? (laughs) And I could see I was in that, I I could go intensely in that mood. And at the same time, I accepted it could not be otherwise Zen because of various things going on at that time. So I was aware of the... And at the same time, I did not amplify it. I was aware of it. It was happening. It was a little unpleasant. And I still continued to do what I was doing, which was to take my mother to the scanner, then the scanner thing, and it was fine. And by the end of that, the mood was gone, but really, really gone. And then I was aware of that too. And in a way, really appreciating, ah, it's gone, good, now we can move on. (laughs) So in a way, being really aware of it happening, but knowing it was not stuck, then being aware when it was gone, And so that's what, I think, in a way, what we're trying to do is not amplify. And I'll talk more about that during the week. And the way we can do that is actually by being really present to what is going on. That it be positive or negative. And at the same time, knowing, experiencing when it changes within itself and also the fact that it arrives and it passes. And so just to be aware of that, to me, I think, is extremely liberating. And so this vipassana will help us to develop openness and clarity. And then what we have is quietness and clarity 
or stability and openness together. And then that, in a way, becomes creative awareness. And really what we're doing during this retreat is developing the power of creative awareness. Each time you sit, each time you walk, each time you are aware, trying to be aware, you are cultivating the power of creative awareness. And then, this is what you're going to take into your daily life. You're not going to take the cushion. You're not going to take the atmosphere. You're not going to take the blankets. (laughs) But you're going to take with you this creative awareness. And then, that's what is beautiful, that then you take it into your daily life And by taking it into your daily life, you apply it. And then it becomes alive. And then it develops more and more. So in a way, what we're developing is something which is very alive, very organic. And so here is kind of like training the muscle. And then in a way, those muscles, when you're back in daily life, you need to apply it. And then as you apply it in your daily life, in your relationship, in your work, in whatever way, then it is developed even more and more. And in a way it kind of feeds itself so that there is, in a way, this, over time, this difference in the way we are, but also, much more than that, in the way we relate to the world and others. So that's what... I wanted uh, to say today, and then we have a little time for questions. And first I have this question, which I think is kind of an important one, so I will read it out. I have become aware of a hissing sound which is always there, maybe always was there, which is a sound I hear when there is silence. I wish it were not there, but it is. I am afraid that focusing on it, instead of, for example, on the breath or contact with the chair, makes it worse. What do you think? So this, I think, happens when we sit in meditation, especially when it's quite silent. In April, it's generally better, because in April we've got the rooks. So in April, everybody complains, the rooks, but the rooks are good, lots of sounds. So now it's a little more quiet. I don't know where the rooks are gone or what they do, but they're much more quiet. So it's more silent. So often, some people then might hear a little like a ringing in the ears, like a kind of a little hissing white noise. And then, yes, I would not recommend to focus on it. Because if you focus on it, generally it becomes worse. So generally I would say, leave it in the background. And then generally be aware of the breath, be aware of the body. And then on the third day, or do loving kindness meditation, on the third day I'm going to talk about listening meditation. And that I would not recommend for people who have this noise in their ears especially not in the room. But if you are outside and there is some sounds, the rustle of the wind, the birds and things like that, then 
you can try to do listening meditation and to see if it's possible outside. But I would not recommend inside because of the silence kind of heightening that sound. So I would say yes. Don't focus on it. Leave it in the background and put something else in the foreground. Is there any questions or comments? What about the hissing sound? I know what, if what I've experienced is the same kind, but ever since I was a child, it was very quiet and nice. I was starting to hear this very high-pitched tone that you couldn't almost recognize as a note. It was almost like merged with your feeling of your neck or something, like a high whining actually so high that you, you can't give it any any color to describe it because it's such a high overtone already in itself. But, but if you really concentrate on it... Well, you see, I don't think it's a good idea. So Everybody is going to have it. But, 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 but it works both ways. If you start to look for it, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if you start to concentrate on it, it will kind of merge to a tactile feeling. It will stop being sound and it will merge back into into, into sensation of touch or something like a muscle tensor. It depends. You see, I think you have to be very careful. Of course, but this was just my case. Yeah, so in your case, then in a way you deal with it within your conditions. But other people, it's not like that. It doesn't become a feeling of touch and then it just becomes in a way worse and worse. And then that's why... Focusing on it generally doesn't help. So I think it's kind of to see all of us comes with different conditions. This is what is very important. We all come with different conditions, and so we have to adapt and to be creative with our condition. What is it that helps us? Why does, what is it that doesn't seem to help us? I think that's what we have to be careful about. As to what it is, I'm sure we can have many different theories spiritual or otherwise. But personally, I am not into theories, so I won't go there, if I may. Okay, if there is a... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.